Do you live in the middle of nowhere and feel separated from the church? Yeah, that's me. Or do you think the church is out of touch? Absolutely. Then this podcast is for you. Coming to you from the Diocese of Sioux City. What? Where the hell is Sioux City? Welcome to Outcast Catholic with your hosts, Father Sheen Demon and Father Travis Crotty. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. Father Travis Crotty. And it's good to be with you, Father, again. Yes. Um, happy Lent. We're still Blessed Lent. Our... Somebody asked me a focus missionary the other day, said, this is the jokes that always come up kind of every year. How mm-hmm. do you greet people in Lent? I said, Blessed Lent. And they said, oh, of course, I should have known that. That's what the focus missionaries say, Blessed Lent. I said Blessed Lent oh, because you were it sounds to weird to say Happy Lent. That's what people... Yeah, but you're kind of. I think you're kind of a Lent guy. We've talked about this before. You kind of like the more melancholic kind of type, you know. Well, I don't think it has anything to do with melancholy. I think it has everything to do with the fruit that's, that's born in the season. That's what you'd say, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I'm an I, Alleluia. I'm an Easter people, and Alleluia is my song. So I'm going to say it, you know, even during Lent. But um, it's true. Well, I, yeah, there's yeah. good fruit that can be born. Yeah, I think there's wonderful fruit that's born, and I think it's great to see. Um, the communion that's born, you know, everyone gets geared up for Ash Wednesday. Oh, yeah. I, I see much more unity in the church, and I see everyone pulling in the same direction more in Lent, and that's just not because of going to a fish fry. Uh, I, I think there's a there's a movement and a momentum in Lent that I think is very energizing in the life of a parish. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Father, I was uh, recently traveling with seminarians up to Milwaukee mm. for the St. Francis de Sales Seminary Basketball Tournament. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you ever participated in any of these, but I know Sacred Heart years ago in Detroit, Mundelein. So yeah, had Mundelein had the kind of monopoly on the basketball tournament situation, but then COVID kind of shifted. It kind of swung, you know, there to Milwaukee. Yeah, and Mundelein is still doing their tournament. Oh, they are okay. Um, yeah, that's w- restarted after COVID, and based on our scheduling, we decided to go up to the Milwaukee tournament, in which there was twelve seminarian teams. And I went up there just kind of as a as a team supporter and chaperone. Had you now had you ever been to these? Because I mean, going to school in Rome, um, you didn't really have the chance because the soccer tournament at Conception, the basketball tournaments at at one point it was Josephine, Sacred Heart, um, Mondelein, and and Francis de Sales. Wonderful experiences of kind of seminary in the U.S. Did you ever get a chance to go before? No, when I was in college seminary, we always sent teams to Mondelein. Okay, uh, I didn't play on those, but. Yeah, th- these have been going for many years now. Um, but it was nice to go up to Milwaukee. I know a number of the formators on that faculty. Yeah. And it was it was good to hang out with the guys. Kenrick took fourth out of um oh. out of 12 teams. They got to the, the semifinals and then played for the uh, the consolation bracket of third and fourth place. But they did really well. We had several injuries on the team and, and not all of our players were able to go up there. And I'm not saying that to hedge our losses no, here. That, I it's important that you call that out. This happens every year at any kind of seminary and tournament because there are these one i mean one weekend a year tournaments right these are not collegiate athletes like these are seminarians with a lot of passion and a lot of drive who practice like a few times and then i mean they're good they're good players right they played in high school or whatever but like Mm -hmm. always guys were breaking collarbones and legs and stuff at the at the soccer game a soccer tournament twisting ankles always yeah it's like guys just seminarians going way too hard Getting yeah, hurt. I think that's true in every seminary. You know, yeah. guys get out there and competitively think that they're still 17 years old and they're finding out they're out of shape. I mean, our guys have been playing in intramural leagues throughout the winter sure. with Protestant seminaries here in St. Louis. Sure. 
but you're right. Nevertheless, it's highly competitive, and, yeah, it's and the bodies start it's, to it's have somewhere in terror. It's funny to watch, yeah. Um, so we had a great week in a fraternity. The weather was good. It was it was good to see kind of the um, just the fun of athletics among these guys who are you know stuck in classes all day and working really hard in seminary, but they get to meet one another and you get to have some good competition. While we were there, Archbishop Lestecki of of Milwaukee had uh, our Sunday Mass together as for the community and all the seminarians combined. Mm. Just tons and tons of seminarians, priests, formators, professors packed into uh, the Milwaukee Seminary Chapel. And I found Archbishop Lestecki's homily to be pretty profound on that particular Sunday. Um, he started by saying, in the ancient world in which there was persecution among Christians— in the first like 300 years of Christianity, you could easily be arrested and thrown in front of a magistrate or a judge or somebody uh, and put on trial for practicing Christianity. And if you did not burn incense to the false pagan gods, if you did not offer sacrificial animals or, or even worship the emperor himself, all of these things were liable to imprisonment and death. And then he raised a pretty powerful question. If that were to take place again, if our government or any worldwide government lashes out against Christians, and that is happening in certain parts of the world, but if that were to happen here in our country, and you were hauled in front of a judge with the accusation that you are a Christian, would there actually be enough evidence to convict you? Could lawyers actually step forward and say, on this date, this behavior was examined. Mm. On this date, you were seen going into this church. On this date, your behavior indicated this. These devotions were practiced. Mm. Um, would there actually be enough evidence to convict you? And when he asked that question in this packed chapel, uh, you could have heard a pin drop. Of seminarians. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, um, so yeah, maybe... Maybe so many would say, well, you know, yes, I would be seen visibly entering into a church. Uh, okay, that's great. You might have a rhythm of worship in your life. Um, but are there other things that would actually convict you? If nobody was outside of a church monitoring the foot traffic, if no one was like checking the GPS tracking on your phone to see where your phone is going, were you actually in attendance? At a, at a Christian church on a, on a Sunday morning, Service if no one was poor. monitoring that, would there be evidence to convict you of any other habits of your life? Yeah. Would someone be able to say, the way that this person speaks, the way that they act, uh, they are clearly a disciple of Jesus Christ? Yeah. It's a very, very powerful question. Uh, and I think it gives us a, a, lot of, a lot of fruit to say, or a, a lot of uh, a material to ponder to say, what is the evidence of my discipleship with Jesus? Not to make, you know, a discipleship of Jesus a performance. You know, we don't merit uh, a relationship with God based on how hard we work or the performance that we undertake. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus' invitation to say, you know, by the fruit of these trees, you will know them, yeah. right? What is the fruit of your life that would actually convict you of being a disciple of our Lord? Mm-hmm. And this is the same question that plagued those early monastics, right? The people in the East and the West who left the cities, you know, in the third century when it was like, oh, okay, 
post Edict of Milan, Christianity is not illegal and there's not as much persecution happening just like, you know, outright within the Roman Empire. But then these men and women realize, wait, the Christianity that we were like raised with, this Christianity that we can look back and see in the lives of these martyrs and saints in the Eucharistic prayer and all these different people, it's like, wait, we want to live like that. Oh, but it's actually mm-hmm. kind of easy to be a Christian now. Mm-hmm. So what, what do we do, right? And then that's what led into the desert. And that's what led other people to follow them. And there was this real conviction that said, the, yeah, the way I live my life needs to be in correspondence to what Christ is asking of me, right? I, mm-hmm. the, the, the Liturgy of the Hours the other day, I forgot. It was yesterday. I forgot which hour it was. Maybe it was just daytime prayer, maybe mid-afternoon. That compelling line from uh, St. James, right, that says, like, talk about faith and works mm-hmm. it's like you say i don't have you know need works with my faith it's like i'll show you my the you know the works that underlie my faith i'll show you my faith that underlie my works right that there's a response in the way i live my life there's a response in virtue to christ inviting me to something more yeah now that's compelling it, it also reminds sorry go ahead no actually go ahead i was just going to kind of expand that it you know you and i are both very familiar with that text Christendom to Apostolic Mission, that short book published by the University of Mary. We've talked about it before, but that's the idea, right? It's just like, okay, apostolic times of the church, to be a Christian was to lay your life down and to witness to the faith was to be killed. Like, it is fascinating that we use that word martyr. Like, we call the people who died for the faith witnesses. That's just, that's what we call them, you know? And Mm -hmm. we kind of, we, we often think Martyr just means somebody who's died for the faith, but no, it just means they witnessed to the truth of who Jesus was, who he said he was, who they've encountered him to be through a relationship lived with him in the liturgy of the church and the community of the people in personal prayer. But as we kind of get lax in times of Christendom and move away from the apostolic zeal, like it's, again, it's easy to become comfortable. So then we have to ask ourselves right now, it's like, well, we actually don't find ourselves in the Christendom, but sometimes we still live with the kind of like, you know, there's enough religious tolerance. There's enough kind of Christian culture still left in a lot of our dioceses. We might not ask ourselves that kind of compelling question like you have, like the Archbishop did. Yeah, and I would say that in the midst of that, as we're making this transition towards greater apostolic zeal, um, which is really going to be necessary for the life of the church and the salvation of souls, there are still people out there, as, as you and I know, and as our listeners know, who are living the witness that they're called to, right? Um we're not we're not speaking about this because everybody is so lax. No. There, there are people out there who are courageously living a martyrdom right now. Some in parts of the world are actually giving a, a, a red martyrdom for the shedding of their blood, but we know plenty of people who are giving a, a white martyrdom. Yeah. And maybe some of that just comes by living a white martyrdom by taking care of your do, daily duties in great love, especially with loved ones who might need, you know, healthcare needs provided for them or whatever. I think, Father Crotty, that there is a lot of people in the church right now who are living a, a white martyrdom, just simply speaking about apostolic zeal. You know, yeah. yeah. Anyone who is actually trying to move mm. their community, their committee, their parish, their diocese, their family, their school, yeah, their family, their school. Yeah. You can go down the list. Their coworkers. Anyone who's actually trying to move someone from uh, the status quo, from maintenance mode to say, how is the Holy Spirit inviting us to a greater zeal? Mm. How, are, how are we actually recovering a sense of apostolic zeal that when Jesus said, you know, go out to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, 
where is that outward momentum shown today in the midst of people being around people who might just want to settle for the status quo? Yeah. That itself is is a pretty heroic witness. Mm-hmm. It might not land you in jail, um, but it actually is kind of forcing you to go against the current, mm-hmm. a current that might say, just take it easy, settle for the status quo, settle into a maintenance mode, and don't get too many feathers ruffled. Yeah, that's... Sorry, were you going to finish something there? No, go ahead. No, that's so true. And it, to compare it then to like these, the red martyrdom of the early centuries of the church and still in different parts of the world, right, that we experience are these different contemporary martyrs. We think of Maximilian Kolbe or we think of, you know, Father Capon. We think of Father Rother, these, you know, these, these recent martyrs that are really impressive. Their, their same fortitude that allowed them, right, that grace of God, that gift of the Holy Spirit that they called upon that actually was bearing fruit in their life, the gift of God, not just how awesome they were and how strong they were, strong-willed they were as Christians, that's the same fortitude that that we need in the church to give that same apostolic witness that you're saying. Like the same witness of apostolic zeal in the midst of a lot of apathy, in the midst of a lot of, yeah, cultural tolerance, in the midst of a lot of status quo (laughs) within Mm -hmm. and without outside the church, right? Like in the, just the, the outside, the pressure of the culture on the outside and that status quo just becomes even more kind of solidified. But it seems like what do we need then in the midst of, of this cultural context we find ourselves? We need the same gift of fortitude, mm-hmm. um, this strength that comes not just from, from within myself, but it actually comes from the gift of God alive in me, right? His love right. that's been poured into my heart. Right. And for all those people who are living a courageous and her, uh, a life full of fortitude right now, for all the saints who have gone before us and have given witness, um, when we talk about is there enough evidence in your life to actually convict you of being a Christian, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like walk this very you know dirge-like path and have a life of suffering. Yes, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. But the, the true witnesses out there are living a life of peace. They are living with the presence of God alive within them. That doesn't mean that their external circumstances are just, you know, a bowl full of cherries all day long. Mm. But since God is alive in them, there is that inner peace that says, I'm in relationship with him, and this world cannot strip me of that. And that's how the, that's how the martyrs of, of centuries past were able to stand in front of a judge, were able to go to their executions in a state of peace, because they knew they were in communion with God they knew that the Holy Spirit was alive and well in them. They were actually experiencing the outpouring of God's love and divine grace. And in that, the world didn't phase them. Mm. So when we talk about, is there enough evidence to convict you, that need not be something that actually causes anxiety. <laughs> you know, having the love of God alive and in present in you should set you on fire in a very holy way and then therefore be contagious to others and if the world doesn't like that, if the world wants to put a wet blanket on your flame of faith, if the world doesn't like that you are contagious with the joy that comes from God alone, okay, well, yeah, then, then that's why people ended up you know, getting put on trial, <laughs> because this fallen world is going to push back against that. But that need not strip you of the joy that can come in just being fully alive with the presence of God. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> that that's encouraging for me. I'm just thinking of you know those those saints, those martyrs, those witnesses of Christ in the early centuries of the church who laid their lives down 
maybe even like you know some of these wild early early martyrs right eaten by by lions you know or something mm-hmm. something crazy like that um that same recognition of Christ's presence with them that bore the fruit of peace that you just said right again it's the same fortitude but it's the same grace of peace so then the then the question is what trial am i facing and it's usually not a magistrate it's usually mm-hmm. not a firing squad it's usually not but what what trial is analogous in my life. And that might sound dramatic to compare it to the death of the martyrs, but what trial am I facing where I need the peace of Christ to reign there, right? Where I can actually pay attention to that in my life this Lent or this week or this month or this time of this season in my life. What trial am I facing and can I look for the peace that Christ brings? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not finding that peace, then that's, the, that's where it's helpful to say, well, then what's in the way of me receiving that peace, right? Maybe it's that lack of trust that we all struggle with, a lack of surrender of <clears throat> my situation, my trial to God, who does care for me, who does produce that fruit within me of peace, who gives me fortitude to kind of stand up against my adversaries, right? And that's what this time of Lent is for. That's what the gift of confession's for, is, it, okay, what's the block in my life that's not allowing me to experience this fruit of peace? But I think the witness of the martyrs can be such a helpful witness for us, right? That's redundant, the witness of the martyrs, but the witness of true Christians who are living in relationship with God, who are bearing the fruit of peace, of living with him, okay, that's what we want too, right? Mm -hmm. So then if their trial was a magistrate who was saying it's illegal to be a Christian, what's your, you know, witness of being a Christian? Um, For us, in, in the midst of the trials, does the those things that would be our witness of being a Christian that could convict us, those are the things in our life that can actually bring about that peace. Yeah, and I don't think you have to go very far for people to find where their trial is going to be. No. You know, anyone who walking around the office, maybe a corporate office wearing ashes on their forehead, you know, on Ash Wednesday, there could be trials there. There could be invitations to actually speak about your faith. There could be also some pushback from people. Going to a gym and hearing, you know, you know men speak about other women in an objectifying fashion how to stand and and resist that and to actually call others to a higher form of speech. You don't have to look very hard to see where the battle lines could be drawn and where a trial could be offered you, even in a small way that lasts only a few moments, uh, to stand and give witness to the faith. And yeah, that that might seem challenging, that might seem difficult. It actually can be a very grace-filled moment where you stand with the Lord and find out, no, he's actually alive in me, Mm. and let's share him with others. Yeah. So from Milwaukee, just a few thoughts from the uh, the basketball tournament. Uh, thanks for your insights, Father. It's good to be with you again. Likewise, we got one more minute. What are you doing? You wrap it up. Yeah, it's, this is a short one. <laughs> this is Everyone's a short one. Get off. All right, we'll give him a little break. Everyone's going to get off their treadmill. Little, you know, little, <laughs> little, little, you know, shorter workout today. That's all. That's all right. Yeah, no, that's good. I think just keep leaning into that piece this Lent. That'd be good. Thanks, Father Shane, for your thoughts. God bless. Everyone. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.